0: I want to let everybody know that is listening right now that I take feedback you know, very well, and I love feedback. I love to hear what you're all thinking about, what you all need help with. Um, but today, I felt like I kind of knew what was on the minds of a lot of different real estate agents and investors, and that is really what's going on in the economy right now. And I mentioned this on my personal Facebook profile that I spent 2 hours the other day getting into basically a Twitter war with multiple people. I usually don't do stuff like that cuz I usually view it as kind of a waste of time, but it's crazy because anytime, you know, an economic event happens, there just gets put out so much misinformation that I initially kind of started out thinking, "Hey, let me help out, let me correct some of this misinformation." And it truthfully kind of spiraled out of control from there. But I left that session, you know, of me just kind of sitting in my house going back and forth with a couple dozen people on on Twitter. I left realizing how many people don't really have a good understanding of what's going on in the economy right now, what's likely to go on in the economy right now. And more importantly, for everybody that's listening right now, how that's actually going to impact the real estate market. Because in reality, of course, like the economy is all well and good, but we're all in real estate. We're all definitely real estate agents. Most of us are agent investors or we want to be investors in real estate as well. So I'm going to talk today about what's going on in the market and what kind of the probabilities of what will happen. I do want to kind of put this caveat out there because this is kind of the biggest misconception that I see on Twitter and other just online platforms. And I think just in general, that people believe that there is only one possible outcome. Some people believe that the real estate market's going to crash or the stock market's going to crash. Some people believe it's going to go way high up or down, or some people think that unemployment is going to spike or inflation. And if I could get, if you can only hear this one very thing right now, it's that there are multiple different possibilities because there are so many variables. And the biggest thing that I see on Twitter or on Facebook or on other social media platforms is what I would call kind of like a one variable uh, prediction, whether it's bank failures, whether it's inflation. Whether it's the job market, whatever it is, they focus on one thing and they focus on one individual thing when in reality, there's more like 15 to 20 major variables that impact not only the economy, but also the real estate market. So today, I'm going to do my best to kind of go through not only what those variables are, but what I believe is the most likely scenarios kind of moving forward. And then I'm going to wrap with how that actually impacts all of us, and how we should potentially change our business today when we're working with buyers, working with sellers, flipping homes, buying and holding homes, or investing passively in deals. I put this uh, little graphic up literally a half an hour ago as I was kind of getting ready to do this presentation. I saw this in my newsfeed, and I said, wow, Like this couldn't be any more relevant to exactly what I'm talking about. And you're all real estate agents working with clients, right? Working with buyers, working with sellers, maybe fixing and flipping, maybe buying and holding. And this is a meme that I saw in my Facebook. And look at it. This is what people think about real estate agents. This is what people think, right? Most people think right now that the world is on fire. The world is collapsing. And that everybody in the real estate industry is basically just lying trying to make money. That's essentially what we're all dealing with right now, right? We're dealing with the preconceived notion that as a real estate agent or as an investor, we'll say and do anything knowing that the world is on fire. And I just thought that that this was so interesting for so many different reasons, and that's why I decided to kind of put it up there. If you guys are going to start to get value out of this presentation, and you feel like you could benefit from coming to our upcoming two-day event, that you register right now by going to www.agentinvestorevent.com. We only have seating for up to 250 people at this event, and we've got 200 people plus that have already registered. And I know I've said this before, but there are certainly some people that have not heard this yet. All of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had in my real estate career have come by going to two-day events. Whether I had to fly there, drive there, Get there no matter what. Um, At our two-day event that we're going to have on April 12th and April 13th, which, by the way, is going to be completely free, so there's literally no charge. We're going to feed you and everything. We're going to have our two-day agent investor systems event. We've already documented all of the processes in our business that have allowed us to fix and flip over 100 homes, buy over 300 rental units, build apartment buildings, raise over $20 million of capital and building over 350-person residential real estate brokerage. If you're interested in getting any of those type of results, if you're interested in achieving financial freedom, there's going to be nothing better than coming to this two-day event. And I know that most of you have heard me talk about the event, so I'm not going to go on much longer about it. But I do want to say that if you've already registered for the event, please bring a friend. Every friend that you bring gets you entered in to win a two-person, all-inclusive trip to Aruba. We just had Lydia McGuire get back from her two-person, all-inclusive trip in Aruba from the contest that we had in November. I get that spending two days with us is a lot, but I can guarantee that this is gonna be the best two days that you spend in 2023 to get on your path of achieving financial freedom. Remember, sales will make you a living, investing will make you wealthy. If you have not registered, please do do so now by going to agentinvestorevent.com. Last thing I'm going to say is even if you're just pretty sure, even if you're just pretty sure that you want to come to the event, please register so that you reserve your seat. If you end up not being able to come, don't worry about it, but just make sure you register because once we hit 250, we can't literally take anybody else. Let's jump into the economic stuff because I know that's what you guys came here for. So here's the reality. You go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, you know, you get an email from your your favorite guru. They're going to tell you this is where the market's heading. This is what's going to happen. Okay. I wish I could do that for all of you. I wish I could say 100 percent this is exactly what's going to happen. And I know that most mentors, most gurus, most people that you see on Twitter or Facebook are going to drive after a narrative that's going to get attention. And that's one of the things that you have to understand when you're working with your clients is you're going to see a lot of people right now going to one extreme or the other, right? Saying something like a factual statement that there are many variables and that we don't have a crystal ball and that the crystal ball can never be perfect, that is not going to attract as many likes, as many clicks, as many YouTube watches, as many email opens, right? Right. The headlines are always going to be, whether it's on the, in the media or it's on Twitter, on Facebook or whatever. They're always going to be these big bold predictions about how everything's gonna to burn to the ground or that everything's gonna explode, right? Because those are the only two things that sell. greed, fear, right? Greed fear, greed, fear, greed fear. So you have to understand, and your clients have to understand that that is the reality. So when things kind of start to get shaky, like you know, Credit Suisse Bank. When you have all of these banks, um, yeah, Silicon Valley Bank. When you have all of these problems and all of these headlines in the news, most people aren't thinking about how do I actually serve the base of followers that I have. They're thinking about how do I get the most likes, the most clicks, the most attention, right? If I had sent out an email saying I guarantee the market is going to crash by May of 2023, here's why and sent them a link to this, I would have at least double or triple the people on this. But I won't do that because I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm going to give you guys the facts, the truth, and maybe that sells a little bit less well for me, but that's the reality. So anybody, I don't care who it is, anybody who tells you they know 100% factually where the market is going is lying and most likely lying to serve their own interests. And I know some of the gurus out there, they might seem nice, and they may be very nice people. But anybody who says, I know 100% where things are going, is making S-H-I-T up. Okay, So, so keep that in mind. Now, having said that, my goal today is to tell you about the variables that impact the market and give you what the probabilities are. I can also give you scenarios where the economy is going to be on fire by May 2023. Right? So what I want to talk about are those different scenarios, and again, what the probabilities are, and what you all should be looking at as things change. Right. For example, tomorrow, the Federal Reserve is going to talk and make a decision on whether or not they're going to raise the federal funds rate tomorrow. That one specific thing will move markets. It's going to actually move markets by a good amount for multiple reasons tomorrow it's going to drive it's going to move interest uh, interest rates it's going to move mortgage rates it's going to move the stock market that's one thing and that's one thing that we can guess at we can think about the probabilities but we cannot say for certain exactly what's going to happen but what is going on in the world today like why are a bunch of people even tuning in right now like i'm getting more people today than i normally get on one of these live streams so why are more people on today and it's because stuff is happening right uh, we were kind of humming along, you know, kind of in a um, a different market than when we were in at this point last year. But all of a sudden, this Silicon Valley bank pretty much rocked the entire world, right? It it started bringing about conversations on things that we've never had conversations about since I've been probably born, right? Um, I can't tell you that I've ever thought I'm 40 years old. I'll be 41 in July. I don't know that I've ever thought in my entire life hey, or had a conversation with somebody that said, hey, if I've got $350,000 in the bank, is my money at risk, right? The FDIC insures up to $250,000. I don't think I've ever had anybody say to me, hey, should I be spreading my money out across several banks because I'm afraid that my bank might fail and my money might be at risk, right? We've never had since really the 1980s inflation this high. And inflation being high really isn't a new thing. This has really been, we're probably one year into inflation being fairly high. But we haven't been in an inflationary, like a a real aggressive inflationary environment where inflation is above 5%, at least as measured uh, by the government in a while, since the 80s, right? So that's going on. We're also seeing, we have a very strange labor market right now. If you go on CNBC or CNN Money or any of these kind of like news outlets, you'll see layoffs happening every day. You'll see Amazon laying off. I think they laid off 8,000 people yesterday. You'll see a lot of friction in the market, the labor market. But yet every single time that the unemployment rate comes out, we're still below 4%, which is very historically low. So we've got this weird thing going on in um, the labor market right now. Mortgage rates. Um, mortgage rates, as we all know, they went from three percent to seven percent in a very small period of time. and I think they were about three percent mortgage rates in maybe February of last year and they went all the way up to seven by like the end of the summer, beginning of fall, right? That was a dramatic thing. That's something that has been going on. They've come down a little bit since then. They're down to about six and a half percent. And what happens with the economy and what happens with the Federal Reserve is going to greatly impact where mortgage rates go. I'm going to spend at least five or 10 minutes talking about mortgage rates, because that's going to drive what your buyers are going to be doing, what your sellers are going to be doing, what your investment rates are going to be, whether you should invest passively or not, and all that good stuff. And I also want to talk about like what are buyers, sellers, investors thinking right now, because I'm hearing so much of this stuff right now. And again, going back to this graphic... That I had a few minutes ago. These are the kinds of things that I'm seeing every single day in my newsfeed, every single day on Twitter. These are the type of things that I've been arguing and fighting, and I'm going to give up the fight. I'm I'm giving up the fight. I'm just the way I'm going to fight back is by trying to educate as many people as possible on the facts, and kind of ignore the people that are pushing what I would say is misinformation. Um, so I'm going to talk about that too. So, Getting back to the one variable thing, this is the thing that you and your clients need to understand is that what happens in the economy, what happens in the real estate market is not a one variable thing. And You will see people talk. Most financial real estate market arguments are made in one variable. Somebody will talk about how inflation is going to do this, unemployment is going to do this, um, supply and demand is going to do this, when in reality... There are a lot of forces, right? I've got the main ones up here. Believe it or not, even though I've got a bunch of forces up here, there are way more than even this. But these are the most important when it comes to the economy and when it comes to real estate. And I've got up there, like we talked about, unemployment, wages, inflation, interest rates, the stock market, rent versus own discussion. That's when I actually don't hear that much, which is kind of crazy to me because that's how all buying decisions are actually made. Um, supply and demand, building constraints. That's a huge one in New England. I talked about unemployment. Unemployment is super low. Um, It's 3.5%. It's 3.6% as of today. Um, As you guys can kind of see on my next slide here, that's about as low as it gets. 3.6% unemployment. So unemployment is huge. Again, unemployment is something that we can make guesses at. We can guess Where unemployment might go, I'd have a hard time hearing the argument that unemployment is going to go a lot lower. It's three and a half percent. Is that is really really low? But where unemployment goes is not something we can one hundred percent predict. You know whether a company decides tomorrow that they'd be better off with an employee or two less or five employees or so less. Um, Most employees in the United States work for small businesses. Um, Owners like myself that you know don't have planned layoffs maybe you know 9 months into the future. So again, of course we can say if economic variables change, unemployment is likely to go up or down, but this is one thing that you definitely want to keep an eye on and more important than the headline. You know, the headline again, this is the part where you need to get educated your client you need to educate your clients. So we have to be very careful especially In a point like we're at today, where there's a few bank failures, the world is always going to be coming to an end, right? If I put up on, if I if I owned a news network, and again I gave the same presentation I'm giving to you guys right now, where I say, hey, you know, the world's kind of like okay, it's not super great, it's not bad. Nobody's going to tune in. Okay, so you have to be careful when you're talking about unemployment. Don't look at the Amazon eight thousand employee layoff that happened yesterday. You've got to look at the unemployment rate, steer clear a little bit about the headlines, pay attention to the unemployment rate. And the unemployment rate is super low for the real estate market. um, People have to have jobs. People have to be employed. People have to be making money to pay rent and to buy homes. Okay. So those two things, of course, we want to keep unemployment is one of the, the top things to kind of keep an eye on. And again, it hasn't yet been a problem. I say yet because it very well likely could change. So I don't want to just give you guys predictions, which I'm going to give you. I want to give you guys ammunition so that you can kind of figure this stuff out on your own as time goes on. You know, it's the old analogy of like, you can give somebody a fish or teach them how to fish. My goal on this presentation is to teach you all how to fish so that, you know, nine months later, when I do another economic update, you attend, but that you're, but that you're looking at the same data I am. Inflation. Inflation's high. Inflation is actually higher than what they report. If you go to a website called shadowstacks.com, it'll actually tell you what inflation really is. And when I say really is, um, in the 80s, when inflation got really out of control, they actually changed the way that they measured inflation so that it looked lower. But I don't really look at inflation being good or inflation being bad. I think overall, it's a negative thing. But inflation actually drives asset prices higher. So getting to the point where we're talking about real estate and real estate investing, if we own a bunch of assets, inflation can actually be a good thing. If you own a bunch of rental real estate and the person that is renting from you gets a raise because inflation is so high, that's a good thing. So I think one thing to also understand both for you as an investor, your client's is that there is not necessarily anything as a hard good or a hard bad it's what are the impacts so inflation drives up wages drives up cost of construction obviously drives up gas prices the the food that we eat um and all that good stuff but it it doesn't it it can have an actual positive impact on you and your clients depending on what you're trying to do um unfortunately Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, inflation makes asset owners much rich and it makes non asset owners much poorer. There's a reason, one of the major reasons why there there isn't really a a middle class in America anymore is because of inflation. Uh, It's because the people who own assets tend to be on the richer side, the people who don't own assets tend to be on the poorer side. Well, as a real estate agent, in general, does that mean that you should be telling people that they should be buying homes or that they should be renting? I and I know that if you're a real estate agent, you believe in, you know, the the you believe that people should should own homes. And going back to that like graphic that I had up of the world being on fire, a lot of people think that us as real estate agents actually just want to have somebody buy a house so we can make a commission. While, yes, I do want to make a commission when somebody buys a house, because that's how real estate agents make money. I also believe that people who don't buy houses are going to get left behind. And they've already gotten left behind. I mean, think about the person. uh, There were people in 2013, 14, 15, and 16 that were saying real estate prices were too high. Just wait. Think about that person. You know, rents in the greater Boston market for a two bedroom were about $1,000 a month when I first got into real estate. Think about the person that waited to buy a house where ranks are probably averaging above $2,000. Their rent doubled. Whereas had they bought a house at that point in time, their total payment might have been like $1,200. So I know that all of you kind of understand this. But keep in mind that you are definitely going to go head to head with a lot of these internet gurus that are going to say the market is going to go to zero. So don't buy a house. Just wait until it's 50% of its value in three months. And that's just not going to happen. That's one thing I will say for sure, especially if you're, you're in New England. In the next three, six, nine months, there will not be a significant amount of a price drop to where a retail buyer like will hit the lottery by waiting. That is not going to happen. And there are so many reasons for that that I'm going to go into today. But just keep that in mind. But it's not just about what's going on in the market. It's also how does the government and how does the Federal Reserve respond to this? This might be the most important slide that I have up here today, which is not necessarily what's going on in the real market, but how are things being manufactured? What is the response that the U.S. government's going to have, our central bank and central banks around the world? And again, can I tell you 100% what will happen? No, I can't, but I can tell you what is most likely to happen based on past history and based on other variables that are going on, okay? One simple thing just to kind of like think about as an example of like what the motivations of the Federal Reserve, the motivations of our government, okay, when real estate prices go down, do they collect less in taxes or more in taxes? Just simple question, right? Does the government collect more in taxes or less in taxes when the, when the values of real estate go down. So they collect less, right? So there are a lot of motivations, government based, Federal Reserve based, to keep asset prices high. There's a lot of motivation there, okay? I took this clipping out of CNBC. This might even be what's on CNBC right now if you went on to CNBC. And it says Treasury Secretary Yelling says the government could backstop more deposits if necessary. And so this is another thing that, that happened really sometime around the 2008 great financial crisis. And it's been going on now for 15 years, which is that the Federal Reserve and the US government and Federal Reserve, uh, the, the uh, central banks around the world have all taken a policy, a bailout uh, policy, where they don't want asset prices to go down, and they're willing to inflate the dollar or the euro or whatever you know, um, currency their country is in, they're willing to accept that. right? They're willing to accept that. Even though they don't want to accept it, they're willing to accept it. To get a clue, like a lot of people have said, and you will hear, if you listen to the Federal Reserve and you actually listen to their conferences over the past year, you will hear them say basically every single time, we're going to keep raising interest rates and that inflation is our number getting inflation down is our number one priority. And they've done things, again, not to get too nerdy about this, but they've done stuff called quantitative tightening, which means they're reducing the money supply and they've also raised interest rates. So in the past six, seven, eight, nine months, they've actually taken some steps to reducing inflation. But everyone has always said, everybody who follows this and has looked at what they've done in the past and what the history has been, is that any time that there's any sort of financial crisis, they jump in, the government jumps in, the Federal Reserve jumps in, and creates looser monetary and fiscal policy. And so there was, there was definitely, up, in, up until about two weeks ago, there was a lot of debate on like would the Federal Reserve actually cut rates- If inflation uh, was still high or would they back off on raising rates? Essentially, the whole conversation was based around whether or not the Federal Reserve would do what they say or when confronted with some sort of emergency, if they would back off and go to the go back to the policies of old. We're going to find out a lot more about that tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow, the Federal Reserve is going to announce what they're going to do with interest rates. You don't have to take this from me. But you can actually look, there are basically betting odds on what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Long story short, about a month ago, it was almost 100% uh, betting votes that they were going to raise interest rates by 50 basis points or by a half a percentage point. Now it's 50-50 between a quarter point or zero. And There's actually some people, I'm not in this camp, that believe that they might cut rates tomorrow. I doubt they'll cut rates tomorrow for the mere fact that if they cut rates tomorrow, it's going to kind of look like a panic move. I actually think they're going to raise rates 25 basis points or 0.25%. But I think what they're going to end up doing is basically taking the, the stance that, hey, we're going to raise by a quarter point. We're still going to fight inflation in parentheses, but we're going to really be more data dependent and we're going to go a little bit slower, which if they do that, they call that dovish remarks, what you'll see is you'll see mortgage rates, the 10-year Treasury go down, and mortgage rates probably dip a little bit tomorrow. If they raise by 50 basis points or half a percent, and they talk very hawkish about rates continuing to go up, you'll see the 10-year Treasury go up, and you'll see mortgage rates go up tomorrow. So tomorrow is a pretty important day, but more important than uh, I'm sorry, uh, more important than tomorrow was what they did last week and what they've been doing over the last week with. Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, you know, and, and what they did there, the response there, which was an inflationary response, a looser monetary policy response, they're allowing banks to basically trade in their um, less than fair market value treasuries for cash. And I don't want to get into too much about what happened there, but the bottom line is that what happened with Credit Suisse uh, merging, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, it's all inflationary. We are more likely than not tomorrow to get news that they're only going to go up a quarter of a point and that they're going to be a little bit, they're not going to say it in this way, but they're going to be more concerned with what happens with the banks and what happens with the economy than they are about inflation. All right. So someone said, hey, Tom, not sure if you have mentioned this. I've heard that there might be 100 more banks in the same position as, as Silicon Valley Bank. This is probably the, I'm glad you said that, because this is really one of the most important statements I can make. From 2018 until 2022, almost every business was built on low interest rates. And I've said this from day one, when they started raising rates, there is only going to be so much raising that can happen because every bank, and not even every bank, but the US government is based on low mortgage payments, right? The US debt that the US is paying is based on low interest rates. There is not an ability to raise interest rates, right? To the degree where they need to. To get inflation under control today, inter- the the interest rates would need to be more like 7 or 8 or 9%, right? They couldn't even really get to 5. We're at about 5 right now. And they could barely get there without things breaking. So it's not even just about other banks being in the same position, it's really the entire economy, right? So the Federal Reserve has a choice. They can either fight inflation and have all these businesses go out of business, have tons of unemployment, and have a very deflationary asset bubble, uh, the asset bubble deflate, right? Like really significantly, like I don't want to say Great Depression, but something similar to that, if they continue to really fight inflation, which I don't think they're going to do. Or they could ease up and have easing policies the way that they've had since 2008, and even really even before then, and continue to have high inflation. I mean, if if we think that inflation is going to be here, and I do, the bottom line is that asset owners benefit from inflation. If you own a two family house and it's all paid off, and inflation keeps on soaring high, and your renters no longer make $52,000 a year, but they make $80,000 a year, guess what? As an asset owner, you're going to get a raise. I'm not really an advocate to have this type of economy that's based on inflation, low interest rates, et cetera. Because 100 years ago, keeping money in the bank was probably a pretty good idea. right? You could put your money in the bank, you could get a high rate of return. There was low inflation. In fact, going back over 100 years, there was a lot of deflation because actually as things improve things should cost less you know the, like how much a, a big screen tv has has gone down you know our phones all of that stuff like it it's decreased over the period of time things should decrease not increase but we're in an inflationary environment so inflation in general causes wages to go up it'll put upward pressure on rents put upward pressure on housing again this is one variable of many, right? If if the unemployment rate goes to 20% tomorrow and we still have high inflation, the unemployment will override the inflation. All right, so we've got the stock market. All right? So stock market has been up and a lot of people have been saying like why is the stock market so high? Why is the real estate market still so high? It seems like it's overpriced. That's because most people are looking at things in what we call nominal terms. So nominal terms means When we look at the stock market and we see basically a 4,000 S&P 500, if the S&P 500 goes from 4,000 to 4,100 by the end of the year, maybe it went up only um, two or three percentage points, and someone will say yes, the the stock market went up, and they kind of feel good about that. But the reality is, is that if your money has gone down six or seven or eight or nine or ten percent, if you go on ShadowStacks.com and your money is way down, you're actually losing. So this is kind of the trick with inflation that, again, the Federal Reserve definitely knows it's a lot more palatable for someone to see their stock market balance go up, their housing value go up, but lose more money through inflation, because they don't really uh, calculate out the inflation tax. So I want to say one more thing as it relates to real estate. And this is the rent versus own conversation. And this is something that I don't see talked about enough, but it's one of the biggest things that people do on a day-to-day basis when they're thinking about buying a property, which is, what is my cost to rent versus my cost to own? And we know that in most cases, if the cost to rent is going to be lower, I'm sorry, going to be higher than the cost to own, well, most people are going to go out and they're going to buy a property. Now, the, 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 the theory a lot of times is that if it's more expensive to own than to rent, and that gets too out of whack, then more people are just going to rent. So if you kind of look here, this is a really interesting chart. I shared this chart in September of 2022, and this chart played out exactly like how I thought. So if you kind of look at the rent versus own, what you can see um, towards the end of t- the the middle of 2022 is that it became much more expensive to buy a house than to rent. I don't know what it is here, seven or $800. But then if you look at this chart, what you see is what we call a bifurcation of the market. This was another argument that I got involved in on Twitter, where people will say, hey, the, you know, past always repeats. But in this case, this is something that we didn't see when the market corrected the last time, which is that there are certain pockets of the United States where it is much, much more expensive to own than to rent. So if you look at this chart and you look at like San Francisco, it costs you $5,500 a month more to own than to rent. If you look at um, San Diego, $1,600 more a month to own than to rent. But then you you look at Austin, Texas, $1,400 a month more. But then if you look in a market like ours, like mine, it's only $461 a month more to rent and own in Boston. Jeez, that's only $5,000 a year. When you factor in the tax deduction you get on your mortgage interest, that's probably a break even. But then you look at you know, other markets across the US. You look at Baltimore, it's $820 more. This chart matters. Seattle, almost $2,000 a month more. This is a bifurcated market. I shared this chart in September of 2022. And the crazy thing about this chart is that it actually predicted where prices were going to go. Because if you look at what markets are getting hit the hardest right now, you look at a market like Austin, Texas, you look at a market like Southern California, um, and you look at some of the Florida markets, those are some of the ones that have gotten hit the hardest. Now, when I say hit the hardest, those markets still aren't down more than maybe like 10%. And some of them aren't even down 10% year over year. But another thing I got into an argument with with people on Twitter is what everybody on this call knows. Guys, since like the middle of January, for those of you who have had listings, has there been a lot of people at the open houses and more bidding or did that kind of like completely go away and does it feel like this spring market is just going to fall flat on its face. I know that all of you are in different markets, but I will tell you this. In my market in New England, we are getting packed open houses. We are getting crazy multiple offers. Not as crazy as the beginning of 2022, but I will tell you this. In March and April and May of 2023, Boston area real estate market is going to look like it's going to go up. It's going to go up because we, we've had some craziness. Again, going to the bifurcation of the market, and, and really, again, why I got into that Twitter fight was the difference between what the perception is and what the reality is. Somebody showed me a red thing chart that basically said the Boston market went down, I think, like 1% year over year. I said, yes, but you're not in my market, and you're not in the day-to-day. If you were you would actually see the bidding wars that were going on. So think about this. And this is the part where like you need to like educate your clients because your clients are going to see the same chart that that Twitter fool saw. And they're going to say the Boston market is down 1%. So I can offer 10% less for this property. When in reality, properties are selling for probably 3 to 4% more than they were last year, on average, in my greater Boston market. Okay. So supply and demand. Again, we're going through the forces. I know this is a lot, uh, and I apologize for for this being so much, Um, but number of houses built in the United States. If you look at this chart really quickly, you'll see that there have almost been no homes built between 2020 and 2029, a big drop off between 2010 and 2019. And I can tell you, again, from my perspective in the greater Boston market, there have been a lot of reasons for this. High construction being one of them, regulation being another one. But long story short, the, the supply on building homes and producing units has not kept up with the demand. Okay, that's another big variable. Another variable, the impact of people living longer. Okay, this is another variable that, again, I don't hear too many people talk about. But just in general, people are living longer, right? So somebody who may have, you know, passed away in their home In their 70s is now probably passing away in their home in the 80s and I don't mean to be uh too grim there about that that conversation but just keep in mind that like people are living longer they're staying in their homes longer and because of that less supply is coming onto the market as you all have seen in most markets across the united states the supply of inventory is lower than it was this year now the buyer demand is also lower than it was last year because of where mortgage rates are but the supply is even lower. All right, foreclosures. I've said a few times, this might be the most important slide I talk about today, and I'm gonna say it again. There's probably four or five slides that are important today. Foreclosures is another one. And I'm, this is a state by state thing. Again, why things are a little bit bifurcated, meaning that it might be one way in New England, it might be another way in California. In my market, from the time that somebody stops paying their, their mortgage, until they lose their home to the bank, is usually about two to two and a half years. Now, from the time that the bank takes over the property until they actually put it on the multiple listing service is another six months. So keep in mind, if you're talking with buyers, if you're an investor yourself, that's thinking about buying a property and getting a deal, right? Somebody who loses, unemployment's 3.5%. If unemployment goes to 20% tomorrow, which it won't, but if it did, There is a long drag on when these properties will actually come on the market. There is not this huge funnel of foreclosures hitting the market right now. And again, in my state, talking about the bifurcated market, your market might be a little different. From the time somebody stops paying their mortgage until the bank sells their property, maybe it's six months where you live. But it's definitely about three years where I live, which is exactly why when somebody says to me, in greater Boston, the market is going to crash in 2023, I say to them, impossible, not possible, not possible, because of how long this stuff takes. Now, I want to talk about the impact, because really, everything I just talked about are factual things, or mainly factual things that are strong opinions of mine that are important. But all of these charts, all these conversations, they're really cool. But you you got to take action on on some of the stuff. So let's talk about this individually. Now I've already already alluded to some of the stuff, but what are your buyers saying? What what are people thinking? Who has a buyer right now who's working with at least one buyer right now that thinks the market's going to crash? I I feel bad. I, I actually feel bad. And I don't I don't like to fight with the buyers or the potential buyer. I feel bad because we are in a market right now, in my marketing a lot of markets across the country where it's not good to be a renter or a buyer. It's not good to be a renter or a buyer. Um, high rent, high purchase price. High rent, high mortgage payment. And it, it kind of is unfortunate. So a lot of people think that the market, a lot of buyers, it's not that maybe even they think that the market's going to crash, but they want the market to crash. And they shouldn't want the market to crash, because for them, if the market crashed, they'd be paying less than their mortgage. So I understand the motivation. And I feel bad that they're paying so much for rent and that they're paying, they would be paying so much for their mortgage. But as of everything that I just kind of went through, right, it is not in the cards for 2023 for the Boston real estate market to crash, the New England real estate market to crash. It's not in the cards. It's not happening. There are no variables that could impact 2023 at this point. It's kind of over. So the question becomes like, could the market dip in 24 or 25? And the answer to that is it could. It definitely could. Um, it's, it's far on into the future. But the conversation I'd be having with the retail buyer is as simple as this. Uh, number one, how long are you thinking about owning that house for? Um, my opinion, if you're not going to own a house for at least 10 years, you shouldn't buy it. And I, I know that's an easy statement to make, You know, sitting in my you know chair right now and You know, talking to you guys, but like if somebody has a 10 year horizon, uh, if they don't have a 10 year horizon, they're probably not going to make a bunch of money owning that piece of real estate, anyways. If they do have a 10 year horizon, timing the market is going to be almost impossible. And and I know that all of you have had buyers in 2020 and 2021 that said, Hey, I'm going to wait. Like, you know, these bidding wars are out of control. People are waiving inspections, waiving contingencies. And it's crazy to say, I never thought I would say in 2023 that those buyers looked smart because those buyers locked in like three, three and a half percent interest rates. So now prices are higher and mortgage rates are higher. So the good news, and again, of course, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm sure I'll get slack for this if I end up being wrong. Another meme I see all the time that I truly believe in is that there's this meme going around with mortgage loan officers basically saying like, Buy the house, date the rate. And that became kind of like pretty vogue. I'm sure all of you have kind of heard it. And it goes along the same lines with that, you know, market, you know, falling, that fire, and a, a real estate agent telling their seller, telling their buyer to buy a house. But I truly believe buy the house, date the rate. And I'm not saying that because I'm a more I'm a I'm a, a real estate broker. I'm a broker owner of 350 agents. I'm not saying that, but I really believe it. In fact, the best time to buy a house in the last five years was at the end of 2022. when rates were like seven percent, the end of 2022 there was a lot of fear with buyers. That was the only time and since I've been doing this that our flips were taking longer to sell, right? They weren't selling in a weekend. That was the best time. that was the that was the most discounted I ever sold my flips. That period has passed as we've kind of alluded to in January, February, and so far in March. That's the conversation I'd be having. I firmly believe that mortgage rates will be low enough for people that buy now to refinance at the end of the year. I, I don't know where mortgage rates are going to go, but I'm pretty confident that they've peaked. There are too, There's too many economic calamities possible that have already started for the Federal Reserve to be aggressively raising rates, which means they're probably going to go down, which means that most buyers today will be refining at some point in the near future. I wouldn't even be surprised if we saw rates somewhere in the fives by the end of the year, okay? Now again, I would never tell a buyer this is a guarantee, but I would talk to them, like I'm talking to you, about what is probably likely. It is likely that in the next couple of years you're gonna be able to refi. When you're able to refi, depending on how much you're paying for the property, you're gonna be paying less, right? And you're gonna lock in that rate you're going to lock in your payment and you're not going to have to worry about rent going up anymore. Um, somebody said a lot of millennials listening to parents that bought or built in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, I'm not too far off. I mean, well, I'm probably, you know, trying to make myself feel better by saying this. I'm not too far off from a millennial. Well, I guess I am I'm seven or eight years off, but I get that. And, and the parents, again, they want what's best for their kids. I want what's best for my kids. I have four kids, right? I want what's best for my kids. I'm sure I'll be one of those opinionated fathers when my, you know, my daughter, who's 10, goes to buy her first house. But the reality is, is that most of these people don't know economics. They don't understand this stuff, okay? So I can tell you this, the world is a lot different from the 90s, right? So they may want housing and mortgage rates, well, not mortgage rates, but they may want housing to go back to the 90s the 90s were like some of the best years of my life. I was in high school living it up. But we're not going back to the 90s, unfortunately. Do you expect banks to start building higher interest rates into their loans that account for long-term inflation if the Fed chooses to not put out the inflation fire? That's a great question, and I'm sure that will vary from bank to bank. Um, you know, just like we saw with like Silicon Valley Bank and all of these other lending institutions like different banks are much more aggressive or conservative than others. You know, so obviously, like with what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, they put a bunch of their depositor money into treasury bonds to get a higher yield. That was risky. But they did it to make more money in the short run. They didn't think it was going to end up impacting them. So I'm sure some will do that, but I'm sure others definitely won't. All right. So we talked about impact on retail buyers. Talk about impact on retail sellers. This is a tough one. This is a really tough one. Like the the retail buyers probably making the wrong emotional decisions right now. Retail sellers are unfortunately a little bit clamped down by actual economics. So what's going on right now, you you all probably know me and my team go on 100 face-to-face seller appointments a week, try to buy two or three investment properties each and every week. Right now, sellers are kind of in a, a little bit of a bind. Because most sellers have two and a half, three and a half percent interest rates. If they're gonna go out and they're gonna rent or they're gonna buy, a lot of them want to make a move right now. There's a lot of pent-up demand to sell houses. It's not coming onto the market because of actual financial issues. If you want to downgrade your house, if you want if you have a, a large home worth a bunch of money and a three percent interest rate, and you want to go and you want to buy a one-level ranch that's 1,200 square feet, you might actually not make any money. You might not save any monthly money by doing that. So we're seeing a lot of sellers, and this is just something that likely, until mortgage rates drop down, won't change. So we're going to continue to see, this is another variable as to why prices are not falling in our market. Prices have a hard time falling when there's a lot less supply. And one of the major reasons there's not a lot of supply right now is because when sellers sell, they have to go and buy another house. Number one, if rates go down a lot, if rates went into the four and a half percent tomorrow, you'd see a lot more buyer demand, but you'd also probably see a lot more seller demand. So keep an eye, rates are really the conversation. Rates and unemployment are the two pieces of conversation right now. All right, what about impact on flippers? This market has had a great impact on flippers right now. So the first thing to kind of keep in mind is that Flippers were used to, from 2020 to 2022, they were used to getting way over what the after-repair value said they should get. And a lot of them were actually banking on those prices. A lot of flippers have lost money because they actually gambled and said, hey, the comps tell me my property is going to sell for 350 but I'm actually going to get 400 And that worked between 2020 and 2022. That has not worked since the middle of 2022 until now. Sales prices overall in New England are flat. They're about flat right now. In different areas of the country, that is obviously different. You know your market better than me. Construction costs have kind of peaked. Okay, They went way high, but they've kind of peaked. But the biggest thing impacting flippers now is the thing we talked about with sellers, where there's just not a lot of sellers that can sell their property. So there's less properties to flip. Flipping in 2023 has become a less profitable business. I've said to many um, people that I work with, agents that are at my company, people that are in the inner circle, if you don't have to flip in 2023, it might be a year to sit out. Impact on buy and hold investors. Okay, so buy and hold investors are doing a lot of the same things that retail buyers are doing, which is saying things like, hey, I'm just going to wait until the market crashes. Here's the problem with that. If you are somebody who is going to buy and hold you know even five or six properties over the course of your life, so even if you were able to time the market perfectly and wait right till the bottom, you're probably only going to be able to buy one property at the bottom then the market starts to come back up. Now you're buying as the market's going up again. Buying multifamily real estate over a long-term period is more like dollar cost averaging. Because of the way that money works, unless you're already a multimillionaire, all of us are going to have to like gut out buying one every year or one every two years. So, by definition, we're going to automatically dollar cost average. So, trying to time the bottom doesn't usually make a lot of sense unless you're only going to buy one. If you're going to buy one, buying a uh, waiting might help you, maybe, but it's the same conversation that I would have with a retail buyer on waiting for that. Passive income investing. So obviously, there's a bunch of people um, who invest in our apartment deals. Um, you know we provide really great rates of return for our capital partners. And this is just another thing that everyone has to kind of be aware of that because of what we believe has been happening and will continue to happening, meaning bailouts, low interest rates, inflation of the dollar, keeping your money in cash is not going to be a good thing. If your money is losing ten percent per year, over the course of a three year period, you've lost a third of your purchasing power. You know, if you start with a million dollars in the bank, you're down to 700K or less by the time three years ends. So you need to have your money either in an asset or in a passive income opportunity like what we have. So I don't think there's really, really any way around this conversation unless you absolutely need to kind of keep your cash in the bank. I want to do one last kind of like call to action before I open this up to questions. I know I went a little bit longer than normal, but I tend to do that, especially when I'm talking about the economy, which I'm very passionate about. One more kind of quick, like if you haven't done so yet, please, please, please register for the upcoming two-day event at www.agentinvestorevent.com. We've got some cool pictures up here from the last event. We had over 225 agent investors at the event. Uh, We have a lot of great guest speakers, a lot of good panels. We'll be giving away all of the systems in our business that have allowed us to do all of the things that I talked about already. So you know what the event is about. Um, But I just want to encourage you, like if you're on the fence of coming, um, I can tell you that every single time we have one of these events, we get so many great comments from people that will tell us, hey, I wasn't sure if I should come. Wasn't sure like if I learn enough or it'd be worth my time. We always get tremendous feedback from these events. Um, Like I mentioned, it's one thing to listen to me right now, you know, you know, driving around in your car while you're making dinner, while you're making lunch, while you're having a sandwich. It's a totally other thing to be fully immersed for two full days. And it's not only to get around me, but it's to get around my team. My entire team will be there. So, guys, keep in mind, a lot of you are on an island. You may be at a brokerage that doesn't encourage investing at all. Like, you may not even believe that some of the stuff that we talk about can even happen. When you come to our two day event, you're going to be surrounded by other agents that do this agents from all different countries, uh, all different companies from all parts of the United States. And once in a while, we even get somebody from Canada or from, uh, you know, other areas, but but mainly United States. But you're going to get people to have the same mindset as you. So www.agentinvestorevent.com. All right. Great question that just came in. I'm an investor, not an agent. Is the event focused on investing or investing for agents? There really is no difference. Everything that we teach can be applied, whether you're an investor or you're an agent or you're both. There are definitely like this. Actually, I should say this this presentation is a good example of a presentation that will be a type of presentation that will be at the event. So Christina, if you felt like you got value out of today, then it'll be worthwhile for you to come April 12th and April 13th. If you thought that today was just way too focused on agents, then it's going to be similar. My opinion is that this stuff all applies no matter what, but of course, I do talk because most of my audience, you know, 90% of my audience are agents. You know, this is, this is how the conversation kind of goes. All right, guys, I don't want to hold all of you up. I don't have anything else to cover. The last thing I'm going to say is if you guys thought today's message was powerful and you feel like it helped you, My biggest recommendation besides coming to the event is to listen to our podcast. The great thing about our podcast is you can listen to it anywhere by going to www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. You can listen to that in the car. You can listen to that while you're cleaning your house. You can listen to that while you're going on a walk. You can listen to that when you wake up in the morning, get into your car, doing whatever you're doing. Podcast. Listening to podcasts is the easiest way to get educated. Uh, It's why I podcast. Coming to the in-person events are much more powerful, but they're not as convenient. I would highly recommend, if you're serious about investing, if you think that today was powerful, just start downloading some of those episodes. I release a new episode every single week, and you'll see really quickly if you like the show. If you like the show, keep downloading, keep listening. We come up with new content each and every week, www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. Last thing I'm going to say, if there is anything that you all need help with, please comment in the Agent Investor Facebook group. If you're not in the Agent Investor Facebook group, go to www.agentinvestor.com. Agent Investor has 11,000 agents in that group. Most of the time it's me talking. I know you guys value what I say. If you if you didn't, you wouldn't be here. But I also value what you have to say. And what I mean by that Besides just you know thinking that I'm a nice person, this stuff is all for you guys, right? I'm teaching you stuff that I know. I need to know what you need help with, right? So I can come up with topics, I can come up with ideas, I can come up with things I think you should know about. But don't be shy about going into Agent Investor and be like, hey, you know, I haven't. I went through the podcast, I went through the the live streams. I haven't seen anything on seller financing or how to find great off market deals or how to evaluate an apartment deal. Type that in and you're going you're gonna to get what you need. But if I don't know that you need something, then I, I can't produce it. And keep in mind that, um, that not too many people do that. Not too many people give me feedback. Not too, pe- not too many people tell me what they need help with. And I'm going to continue to create content based on what I think is going to help you. But be selfish about it and just you know, be a participant in the group. All right, guys, thank you for everyone for joining and sticking on for so long, and I appreciate it, and I hope to see all of you at the two-day event, www.agentinvestorevent.com, and bring a friend because you will get entered in to winning a contest. Ask Lydia McGuire how that went. All right, I'll talk to you all later. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.